Have you ever thought about the sovereignty of God and the freedom of man? And you realize they fit together, that God is sovereign and works all things according to the counsel of his will, but we know that each person has uh, the freedom to make choices and that we're accountable for the choices that we make. And so what really is weird is this, that we can make a choice and we have the freedom to make that choice, and yet still in some way, because God is God, he is so great that everything fits into his plan. How does it work? Well, we don't really know because Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the knowledge of God and how unsearchable are his ways and his his things past finding out. It is just beyond us what God does. And so how he works all things, how he is the sovereign ruler, and I mean, we could raise this question. Uh, Did you choose to come here today? You'd say, yeah, I got up, I decided I'd go, I got my clothes on, I decided I'd go what time I got there. In the sovereign plan of God, you will be here. And so he is so great that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, and yet at the same time, we have decision-making capacity, and everything we decide, right or wrong, all still fits into that. Well, we're, we're seeing Paul has left uh, we'd say Macedonia and Achaia, northern Greek and southern Greeks, and coming all the way back, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. That's his plan. And as we look at this, this we're going to see three big areas. We're going to see Paul's trip to Jerusalem. We're going to see the prophet's messages, and we're going to see the riot and Paul's arrest. We're going to go fairly quickly today through some of this. As you know, we've just been hitting the highlights of Paul's life. And so let's look at Paul's trip to Jerusalem. You should be in Acts chapter 21, and it says in Acts 21.1 that when Paul, they're leaving Miletus, it says, we departed from them, we'd set sail, we ran a straight course to Coes, and then to Rhodes, and then on to Patara. So let me show you, this is those verses, let me just show you this, you don't have to look at the detail because you can't see it, but here's Miletus, where they were, they left, they went to Coes, they went to Rhodes, they went to Patara, that's where he's saying, those verses, that's where they went, they're on their way back to Jerusalem. And so it goes on a little bit later. Verse 3 says, we, When we came into sight of Cyprus, leaving on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre for the ship there for its cargo. And there were some disciples there. And here's what I want you to see, that in this map, they end up going past Cyprus and they go to Tyre. So they're all the way back down here. They're almost back to Jerusalem. And this is where Paul wants to go. But something happens. After looking up the disciples, Paul and them, God with the disciples, Luke is writing this. Now, I want you to understand something. Sometimes when you're reading the book of Acts, it'll say, Paul did this, and then sometimes it'll say, we did this. And the we is when Luke is with Paul, because Luke is writing this. And so, and looking up the disciples, we, Paul, Luke, and the rest, we stayed there seven days. So they were at seven days at Tyre, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Now, do you hear what that says? They're saying the Holy Spirit told us for you not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go. Well, what should Paul do? Our first thought is, well, Paul, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. But Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, my plan is to go to Jerusalem. Notice verse 4 again. After looking up the disciples, there were seven days. They kept telling Paul uh, through the Spirit not to go. And so their days were over. He gets on the ship and they go. And verse 7 says, when they had finished the voyage from Tyre, they, they uh, necked at Ptolemaeus and they stayed there. Then they go down to Caesarea. So let me just show you the map. Here's where they're going. They were at Tyre. They went down to Ptolemaeus. They down to Caesarea. That's where they are. They're not that far from Jerusalem. 
What message did Paul get back up in Tyre? Uh, don't go. Don't go. We don't, we don't think you, the Holy Spirit is telling us you probably shouldn't go. And verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and then on the next day, verse 8, we came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip. Now notice, Philip is one of those evangelist guys that we saw that, if you remember any study of the book of Acts, he was early in the church, early as an evangelist, early as telling people about Christ. And notice, he, he was one of the seven. You remember when they had issues with giving out the food, and they picked seven men seven godly men to help hand out, hand out the food to the widows. He was one of them. And it says he was one of the seven, and they stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetess. So they got revelation from God themselves, and they did. Now, we're going to meet somebody. And if you haven't ever studied the book of Acts, you won't know who this person is, but watch what it says. And we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus, came down from Judea. That means he left most likely Jerusalem and came to where Paul was. And so we say, well, who is this guy? Who, who is this guy? They came and stayed with Philip, and then this man named Agabus came. Well, who is he? Well, well I'm going to go back to Acts 11, and this is back a long time, because we're, we're in Acts 21. So this is Acts 11, way far back it says, there was, a, there was a prophet. His name is Agabus. It says, one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. Now, this man is a prophet of God. And he said earlier, some years earlier, maybe 15 years, 20 years earlier, he was famous for he stood up in the church one day and said, God has told me there's going to be a great famine. And, and there was. At the, when the time of Claudius uh, was ruling as the emperor, there was a great famine. So now he's there with Paul, and he's going to get a prophecy about Paul. And look at verse 10 again. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This is what he said. He took Paul's belt. He said, let me have that belt. He took that belt. He bound his hands and feet with the belt. And then he said, this is what the Holy Spirit has told me, that in, when, in Jerusalem, when he goes there, this man, they will bind the man who owns this belt and they're delivering to the Gentiles. The Jews are going to get him, tie him up, and hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, what do you think all the people think right there? Paul, you, you're not supposed to go. That's your belt, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. That's, that's my belt. You're not supposed to go. But what does Paul say? What does Paul say? Verse 12. And when we heard this, we, we as well as the local residents, we started begging him not to go. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered. What do you think he's going to say? What do you know from history? Do you know anything from history? What did he do? He went to Jerusalem, right? <laughs> so what, is that? what does Paul say? Paul answered, what are you doing? You're weeping and you're breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but to even die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul, in his plans and his mind, says, 
I have to go to Jerusalem. Even though I'm being warned that when I get there, there's going to be problems. They've already told me way back at Tyre, don't go. And now this prophet who is a legitimate prophet because he's made prophecies in the past and they've come true, he said that whoever, whoever owns this belt, which is Paul, when he goes to Jerusalem, the Jews will bind him and turn him over to the Gentiles. And so what were they saying? Don't go. Please don't go. Paul, don't go. Don't go. Don't go. And Paul says, you're breaking my heart. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded. Have you ever talked to somebody and you say, I don't think that's a good idea. And you say, I'm going to do it. Well, I just don't think it's a good idea. I don't think you should do it. I'm going to do it. And finally you say, he's not going to listen to us. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent. Luke is writing this. Luke says, I was trying to tell him not to go. And we felt silent. And then we said, the will of the Lord be done. <laughs> we just got to trust God. If Paul wants to go, and we know there's going to be trouble when he gets there, and Paul says, I have to go, I know I'm supposed to go, and there's going to be trouble, well, the only thing we can do is say, okay, Lord, we have to trust you. Your will be done, whatever, whatever you say. And, and if you get down to verse 17, and we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. They get there. They go to Jerusalem. And Luke's, I mean, everybody's with him, and you're probably all walking like this. What's going to happen? When are they going to get him? How are they going to get him? They know, they know from the prophecy of Agabus that the Jews are going to get him and turn him over to the Gentiles. Sort of. We'll see how it happens, what goes on. As we look at this, we see a contrast from some saying, don't go. God says, don't go. Or God says, if you go, there's going to be problems. And from Paul's side, he says, I want to go. And so we see, in a sense, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and, and the choices that we make. And it's true for every one of us. Now, we don't violate Scripture we're not supposed to, and I don't even think Paul violated Scripture because they basically warned him and said, if you go, there's going to be issues. And he says, I'm going. Agabus didn't tell him not to go. Agabus said, if you go, you'll be bound and turned over to the to the Gentiles, and Paul said, y'all are breaking my heart because I'm willing not only to be bound and turn over to the Gentiles, but to die if I have to, if I have to. And so in a sense, we see God's sovereignty working it out. You know, we already know that somewhere down the line, Paul wants to go to Rome. He already wrote in some of the letters, when he wrote the Roman letter, when he was, uh, he said, I'm coming to you. My plan is to come there on the way to Spain. And if you said to Paul, I'm going to Jerusalem, after I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to Rome. Well, he was right, but he didn't go on his own. He was a prisoner when he went. And if you'd have said to Paul, uh, would you go as a prisoner? He'd say, I'll go whichever God wants me to go. And sometimes we just have to say, Lord, I have to trust you. I don't understand. How do, can we make choices? And at the same time, it all fits in God's will. It's because God is so great that you can decide what time you want to get up and what time you want to get dressed, and in the sovereign plan of God, you're getting up and getting dressed at that time, and yet you're responsible for everything. And when you sin, that fits in God's sovereign plan, but he didn't make you sin, and you're accountable for your sins. Right? So if we do wrong, we can't say, God made me do it. No, he didn't. He didn't make you do it. It fits in his sovereign plan, because everything fits in his sovereign plan. So let me talk to you about 
the will of God for a minute. We've done whole studies on this. I did, I think, about a five-week study on knowing God's will. I just want you to remember that there are three aspects I see from the Scripture about knowing the will of God. There's the sovereign will of God, the specific will of God, and what I call the general will. The sovereign will of God is what's going to come to pass. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works everything, everything from the end to the beginning. He's outside of time. God doesn't say, gosh, I wonder what's going to happen in 2035. I mean, he doesn't, you know, so he's outside of all of that. There's what I call the specific will of God, and that is the Word of God, and we don't violate the Word of God. You can go contrary to the specific will of God by sinning. If the will of God says, do not lie, and you lied, you just went contrary to the specific will of God, and so that's called sin. And, and the will of God is all over the Bible telling you what to do, where to go, those, I mean, th those kind of things. When I say what to do, what's right and what's wrong. The specific will of God primarily deals with right and wrong issues. There's what I also call the general will of God, which is the freedom to make wise choices. Now, this is where people get hung up because they say something like, I want to take this job, but I don't know if God wants me to take it. You're not going to go to the Scripture and find out whether you're supposed to take that job or not, unless it's a sinful job. You're going to have freedom. You have freedom to make all kinds of choices. You have freedom to get up when you want to get up, to take what job you want a job, to live wherever you want to live. You have freedom in all those because they're not found in the Scripture. And so what I teach is when you have decisions to make in which you do not have biblical revelation, you have freedom to make wise choices. That's how you can make choices and come here or not come here. Still fits in, all of it fits in his sovereign plan. Now, sometime if you really want a lot more details, just go to the website, go to the topical studies, and look at God's uh, the free will or God's free, you know, uh, knowing the will of God. That's the study. It, it would go in a lot of detail, and I just didn't want to do that this morning. But I just want you to see that Paul is saying, I'm going because I know that's what I'm supposed to do, and that's my plan. That's really what God has for me to do. And at the same time, he knows that if he goes, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble. And uh, we, we, saw, we saw something. If you remember, go back. We talked about the time that Paul was in Ephesus, and they had this big riot, and all the people went in there, and they were shouting out for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians, or great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And Paul wanted to go in there, and some of the people said, do not go in there, and he didn't go. Okay? So, you know, he, he didn't do that that time. Well, this time he, they say, if you go in there, you're going to get in trouble. And he goes, I know. I know, but I'm going because I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. That's, I just know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. He's a prophet. So he goes to James. He goes to Jerusalem. It says, after these days, verse 15, we got ready and we went to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples came up and they were all out there. And after arriving in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the next day we went to see James. Now let's talk for a second. Let me look at the clock. We got, we got some time. Um, who is James? And you could say, oh, James and John. No, it's not. James and John, the James of James and John already got killed. He got his head cut off. The same time they put Peter in prison and then God let Peter out of prison, they killed James. So this isn't that James. This is the James who wrote the book of James. This is Jesus' half-brother. This is James. And we know that according to Scripture, that before Jesus died on the cross, they didn't believe in him as Messiah and Savior. After the resurrection, his brothers believed in him. And this one is called James, and he has become the leader. And some people say he's become the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And so he's kind of a big deal. <laughs> he's a big deal. And he wrote the book of James, right? 
And he's one of those that uh, he sees things pretty much black and white. That's how he is. If you read his writings, that James, the book of James is all about wisdom and about what to do. Count it all joy, my brother, when you fall into various trials, knowing the test of your faith, work, patience. If any man lacks wisdom, let him do I mean, he, he is a, he's, he's something. So here comes Paul, and Paul comes to see James because James is like the pastor of the church. And so in the, verse 18, in the following day, Paul went in with us. Here's Luke's with him to see James and all the elders. Everybody's there, and I want you to see uh, what what happens? And I'm not going to read all the verses. Let me just give you what he goes in to see James, and James says, "Wow, I'm glad you made it." And he says, "Well, it's not supposed to be that good while I'm here." <laughs> he said, "Listen, I, I just want you to know it's been great. God has led Gentile. They are believing all over the place. This is amazing." And then James says, "Well, there's a little problem. What's the problem? Well, there's rumors out that you're telling Jewish people." not to observe the law. Now, we know the law was not for salvation, right? Let me put this up. I think I've got that next slide. Yeah, the law was never for salvation. But for a Jewish person to look at the feast and even do whatever they wanted to do, they could do that. But the rumor was that Paul was telling Jewish people not to even look at the law. Now, we know Gentile people, he told them they were never under the law, and he would tell them, you're not under the law. You don't have to ever come under the law. Salvation is by grace through faith. Jews are saved by grace through faith. Gentiles are saved by faith, grace through faith. But Jews are used to law. They're used to the, the system. So James says to Paul, there's a rumor out you're telling Jewish people not to have anything to do with the law. And Paul said, I never said that. I don't say that. In fact, I said, to those who are under the law, I came under the law. Those without the law, without the law. And Paul says, I've known all, all things to all people. And so James comes up with this idea. And he says, there are four men. There are four guys who are, 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 have a vow. Oh, by, by the way, let me, st- let me stop for a second. What was, what was the law for anyway? 613 commandments. They got it on Mount Sinai. It set the nation apart. Why did God give a law? To Israel, because number one, the law was never to the Gentiles. It's never been to us. The law is not the church. We're not under Mosaic law. So why why did God give a law? Well, the purpose of the law was, first of all, according to Romans chapter 9, was to set Israel apart. They had the covenants, the laws, the sacrifices, the temple, the tab, all of those things. It made them a unique people. Second, it showed the character of God. The law is the character of God. That's why nobody can keep the Mosaic law, because it's the character of God. Because law is spiritual, perfect, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. The law actually showed sin. When you look at the law, when you look at the Ten Commandments or any other aspect of law, it shows you that you're a sinner. Paul says, uh, what, what, you know, the law, that people look at Romans 3, 19 and 20, the law, whatever the law says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. If you take Ten Commandments and look at them, guess what? If you're really honest, you broke about 10 of the 10, right? Down the line. Somewhere along the way, you have. And you say, well, I've never murdered. But it says, Jesus said, if you hated, if you've hated somebody, you've murdered. You know, so though the law shows sin. And then, according to Galatians, where Paul is writing, he actually says, the law, because it can't save you, and you realize you're a sinner, it points you to Christ. And so that's the purposes of the law. It made Israel a unique people. It was the character of God. It showed people. And see, what the Mosaic law was supposed to do for the nation of Israel was not that the law had anything to do with salvation. 
the law was how they lived what we might call a Christian life. They weren't Christians because Christians are those who follow Jesus Christ, they, that Christ hadn't come yet. We just call them believers or people up under them, the Mosaic law. They saw the character of God. They saw how they were supposed to live. And by the way, when they sinned under the Mosaic law, God said, if you sin, bring a certain sacrifice. That's why a person could be called blameless under the law. It didn't mean they kept the law perfectly. It meant they did what the law said. Paul said, as far as a Pharisee, I was blameless under the law. And you say, Paul, you mean you never sinned? No. When you sin, you bring the right sacrifice. You can be blameless. By the way, the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you are righteous as God is because he gives you his righteousness, so you have that righteousness. But experiential righteousness, you can be blameless in the sense that the moment you sin, what do you do? Confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you, we can live blameless lives in the sense that every time we sin, we, we uh, confess it. So this is what Paul is saying. James says, listen, there are, there are four guys, and they had a vow, and why don't you take a vow with them and pay for their vow, and when you go into the temple with them and pay for it, everybody will see that you're not telling people to reject the law. Now, if you said to Paul, does the law have anything to do with salvation? He'd say it never has, never will. So we're not talking about salvation aspect. We're talking about do Jewish people, can they still do some of the, the stuff? And there were four people that wanted to take a vow, and they said, Paul, why don't you go with them? And he said, Okay, I will. Let me, I, you know what I think? I think that was a bad idea. I mean, I, did, I think Paul should have said, I don't have to prove to anybody what I do. I, I, you know, God set me apart as the apostle to the Gentiles, and I have that ministry, and you, you guys have a ministry to the Jews, and I'm not telling people not to keep the law, but for me to go do this, you know, well, so what did he do? The guys did the vow. At the end of the vow, which was usually seven days, Paul went with them into the temple to complete the vow, and some Jews saw Paul, and they said, there he is, that's the man that's telling it. And he brought, they said, he brought a Gentile into the temple. Paul had never brought a Gentile in a temple. There was a guy named Trophimus who was a Gentile who was with Paul. They had seen him in Jerusalem with Paul, but Paul never took him into the temple. Because, it, and truthfully, there were places in the temple the Gentiles could go. There was called the court of the Gentiles, court of the women, and then the rest of the part. They're accusing Paul of taking a Gentile all the way into the inner part of the temple area. And he didn't do that. Well, what, did, what is Paul going to do? They jumped on him. They jumped on him and brought him outside, closed the door of the temple, and began to beat him to death. What was the prophecy? The Jews were going to get him and bind him and then eventually do what? Turn him over to the Romans? Well, all of a sudden they're beating Paul up like to pieces. And uh, notice this. All the city was provoked and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul. They dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut and they began to beat him. And there was a Roman garrison not very far from the temple. And suddenly the word broke out. There's a riot going on in the temple and the Romans had to keep peace. So the Romans went running down there and they found them beating Paul. And so they got Paul and they broke it up. And they said, what do you think you're doing? And, you know, Paul said, Paul didn't say a word, and they were screaming and hollering, and the Roman, and I, I'm, we're running out of time, but I want to tell you this, so the Roman soldier said, I can't understand anything you people are saying. They were just shouting and screaming, so he said, get this man, take him up the steps, and take him to our garrison. 
The people wanted to kill Paul so badly, they had to pick Paul up and hold him above their heads to keep the people from killing Paul. As they got to the top of the steps, Paul said to the Roman, "Uh, do you mind if I speak to these people? And the guy went, you speak speak Greek? Uh, I thought you were an Egyptian or something. I didn't know who you were. And Paul said, no, 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 I'm I'm from Tarsus of Cilicia. Yeah, that's a big city. (laughs) And Paul says, I'm Jewish. And so he said, okay, you can speak to them. And Paul turns around and looks at the crowd, and they're all down there screaming at him, and he says in Hebrew, he start, and as soon as he starts talking in Hebrew, they all shut up, and they listen to what he says. And the Roman, he doesn't even know what they're saying. He has no idea what Paul is telling all these people. All he knows is they shut up. And so he's standing there while Paul's talking, and Paul gives his whole background. And he says, I used to persecute Jesus, and I did all this stuff, and then I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he changed my whole life, and he did this, and he did this, and I've done this, and now I'm doing this, and now I've come back here. And, and, and he said, and God sent me to the Gentiles, and as soon as he said, sent me to the Gentiles, they went crazy, and they started throwing dust up in the air and screaming and hollering, and the Roman soldier goes, what, in the, what did he just say to these people? So they pick Paul up, and they bring him in, and they decide the only way we're going to find out is we have to beat him. So they stretched out Paul with thongs, and they were going to beat him, and Paul said to Centurion, he said, oh, by the way, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Now, first of all, this guy didn't even know Paul could talk Greek or anything. And then Paul says, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. You're not supposed to beat a Roman citizen without a trial. And the guy went, you're a Roman citizen? He went, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. Guy went, man, I, I had to pay a lot to be a Roman citizen. Paul said, I was born a Roman citizen. And the guy said, you know, I think we're in trouble because we've, we've about beaten a Roman citizen So he stopped everything, and they decided what they would do is they would have a meeting, and they would bring Paul before the Jewish assembly to find out what's going on. And so on the next day, wishing to know for certain why Paul had been accused by the Jews, he released him, that's the the centurion, and ordered the chief priest and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. So Paul is going to stand before the Sanhedrin, which was the 70 elders of Israel, the ruling body, and he's going to talk to them, and we're going to see what happens next time. Okay? So let, let me give you some ideas. Let's understand that trials and problems do not mean that we're not in God's will. Sometimes people say, if this is going wrong, or why did this happen, uh, this must be wrong. Not necessarily. Just because things don't go the way we think they should go, it doesn't mean we're not in God's will. God has a sovereign plan that he works all things, and we are trying to, the best we can, to live and to live, live according to the scripture. But you have a lot of freedom. And sometimes things don't turn out the way we thought it should turn out. But just because things go wrong, you could look at this and say, well, Paul... We told you not to go, but Paul said, you didn't say really not to go. You said there'd be trouble when I got there, and I expected trouble when I got there. And trouble just, you know. What about Jesus? You know, they could have said to him, you you do not need to go into Jerusalem and offer yourself as king. You don't need to ride that donkey going in there and have all the people shouting and cheering and everything. You're just going to get yourself into trouble. 
And Jesus said, Zechariah 9, 9, I have to ride in there on a donkey. See, so just because things go wrong doesn't necessarily mean that we're out of God's will. Paul, Job, think about Job. I, I, when you read Job, my heart is, good night, I can't hardly stand reading it. It's just so hard. Here's this guy, Satan, you know, says to God this, and so God allows, allows this. And you could say, Job, what did you do? All of Job's friends came. And they sit there for seven days, never said a word. Then they go and they say, poor Job. And then before you know what they're saying, you must be a bad sinner or this wouldn't be happening to you. And Job keeps saying, I hadn't done anything wrong. Oh, yes, you have. And each cycle, they get worse and worse. By the end, they say, you're the worthless man on the earth. And they just got through telling how great he was. So let's understand trials and problems do not mean we're not in God's will. Let's understand God's sovereignty and man's freedom. They go together. We have great decision-making capacity. You decide to come here, not come here, go somewhere, get something to eat. Where are you going to go for lunch? What are you going to do this afternoon? The, the Bible's not going to tell you what to do this afternoon. You have freedom. Go to the ball game. Yeah, go to the ball game. That'd be fun. Is it right or wrong? Should I pray about going to this ball game? He said, you can go to a game, right? You have freedom. And when you realize the freedom you have as a believer, it sets you free. Third thing, let's understand the purpose of the law. What was it for? It set Israel apart. It showed God's character. It showed sin, shows that we're sinners. And it pointed to Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the law.